Disclaimer. Sam Pocker's The Influencers is a podcast where I ask artists who have influenced me questions about their work that I haven't been asked before. Due to the nature of this program, there is little to no exposition of the subjects or the artists themselves. It is intended for future generations to learn about details that would not have been appropriate in an autobiography, interview, or public question and answer session that are common in the late 20th and early 21st centuries. This is a nice way of saying that casual fans of an artist may dislike this program, but it is not necessarily intended for them. Learning about the artistic process may ruin the experience for you, and you should be aware of that before continuing to listen. There may be subject matter that you find triggering or offensive. This podcast does not endorse or oppose the viewpoints presented by its guests. To learn more about myself or this podcast, you may visit sampocker.com. Welcome to the Influencers. I'm Sam. My guest today is Tommy Chong, half of Cheech and Chong, obviously an uh, icon of counterculture for over four decades. Tommy, it's such an honor to have you on the program today. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. Well, the honor is all mine, believe me. Tommy, I know in most of the interviews you do, you get asked the same things over and over again, and... The point of this program is to ask you some very, very niche questions <laughs> about your work that more or less I can't find any record of you having answered. I've been studying your work for over 20 years, and there's oh, never yeah. really a format where you can ask these kind of questions. So that's the point of these interviews. Excellent. Today. All right? Excellent. Excellent. I, I, like, I like new things. Good. Yeah. First thing I'd like to ask you, Tommy, after the wedding album, you took a break. It was the first time you guys had taken a break from touring for several years uh-huh. and you knew you were going to make a movie you didn't know it was up in smoke yet and you wrote jack and the weed stalk with your tai chi instructor joel who apparently that's right that's right he had written a whole bunch of screenplays and I, he was going to help you write a screenplay and you intentionally when you were writing it you never showed it to anybody including cheech and the question i have for you about that is who taught you that method of screenwriting that the first script you wrote to stick in a drawer and never show anybody? <laughs> Nobody. <laughs> uh, in fact, I never, uh, no, I, I never even thought about it. Uh, you know, what happened, it, like, you, like you said, it was the first uh, attempt. It, was that, not, not, it was, wasn't bad. And actually, after uh, 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 years went by, I brought it out of the drawer and we tried to make an animated feature uh, out, of, out of it. And I started, I just started it. And, and then, uh, you know, it was, a- animation wasn't my thing at that time. It still isn't, you know, yeah, I, although I, I, I dabbled with animation, uh, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, that's way, uh, that's way Cheech and I always worked. You know, we'd start one thing and then uh, something else would, because we're together, something else would come up, and boom, next thing you know, uh, we're off on, on that other tangent. Uh, up in Smoke itself, we, I just wanted, I, I wanted to make a movie. I, I never showed the, the weed stock to, to Cheech because I'd written it with Joel. And so I, I was going to, uh, you know, just Cheech and I was always, always a partnership. You know, and and, uh, and so I wasn't really comfortable showing showing that. 
actually is the way I, I work too, really, is I, I, I don't show anything unless someone says, well, show me what you got, and then I'll do it, you know. I but I, but I, I wasn't trying to sell anything at the time. I, I grew up in the world of improvisation, and improvisation is exactly it. Uh, you change. You, you know, you, 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 it's not plotted out. It's improvised on, at the moment. And that's what happened with Up and Smoke, too, because Up and Smoke started out. Uh, Lou, our, our manager turned director, uh, he uh, he had in mind doing Cheech and Chong's Greatest, greatest hits. hits. Yeah. yeah. And, you had, and you had the whole argument over the ending and all that kind of stuff. I mean, that's really well documented, the whole Up and Smoke. I think there isn't a second of production on Up and Smoke that hasn't been documented and broken down yeah. in my new show. So yeah. that's great. Next question. Um, a lot of your, and I apologize for reading, but Obviously, no I've taken so much time. I want to make sure I get the question right. A lot yeah. of your di directorial and production decisions are identical to those of Roger Corman. I know that you said Shelby was in some trauma films when she was starting out, but I can't find any records of which ones she was in. Were you friends with Roger Corman? Did he show you his system? How did you learn that school of filmmaking? Well, actually, I, I don't know if, if he was even in, I, I was influenced by him as much as I was by, uh, uh, what's the guy that did MASH? Um, oh, uh, uh, Altman, Robert Ro Altman. Robert Altman. Yeah, Robert Altman. because Robert Altman. those people on Up in Smoke. Yeah. Robert Altman was the guy that, that I really uh, admired, and I loved his, his method. You know, he was strictly improv, too. And, you know, and, and like me, just did a couple of movies and, and, and that was it. Because, you know, the improv depends on the actors that you have. And uh, and the actors in Up and Smoke were pure, beautiful improv Perfect. actors. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. And other than Altman and Terry Malik or Malik, Terry Malik. Yeah. Were there any other directors? Because Peter Sellers, obviously, you've always referenced as being an actor that you looked up to but were there any other directors who really influenced your direction well i i noticed hal ashby i just saw uh harold and Maude, and i was influenced by by ashby uh quite a bit of course uh, I, I i i you know just subliminally um and uh uh let's see let's see uh uh Cassavetes. John Cassavetes, yeah, yeah, yeah I was uh, he was a big influence on me too, mainly because he would do his own projects and you know, and with his wife, I love that fact too because that was uh, the mm -hmm. other thing with me, you know, I don't know if it's the Chinese uh, bloodline and that, but in 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 my family, especially uh, my father, you know, he's Chinese and. And there was a thing about you always included the family because the family was your workforce. Sure. You know, and and so that's the way I was my entire life. And so when I got uh, started with a with a nightclub, uh, my brother came in and and it took over running running the sure, nightclub. I remember. Yeah. And, and then my father and my mother and everybody. My brother had everybody working. Family and, business, and, yeah. Yeah, and, and so when I uh, started doing the movies, my, my wife, Shelby, was actually studying acting before I got 
into it. And, and so then uh, my whole aim was to put her in the movie, which is why I put uh, Cheech's wife, wife in, in first. first right? Yeah. <laughs> and let me ask you, when you were doing that, because, you you know, again, you've talked about that part of it, but not your motivation for that part of it, which I really appreciate learning. I never thought of it as the Chinese family business influence. But as yeah. you were doing that and you were starting to build an ensemble cast, which is just like Cassavetes, I hadn't realized that was the influence for that. You were getting Paul Rubens and Sandra Bernhard. And at the end, you were built up. You had Jim Varney in there. And yeah. you know, you're trying to move forward with that whole kind of thing um when we switch over to things are tough all over the ensemble cast seems to mostly disappear uh, other than your two wives and donna uh, i can't remember the actress's name who played donna was that oh a, yeah evelyn evelyn, yeah, evelyn Guerrero. Yeah. Yeah. was that a financial thing or was that a uh art decision how did that work it, out it really started the 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 Cheech influence came in pretty heavy, uh, you know. He was really making a lot of noises that I was, you know, becoming the the guy, the the director, you know. And uh, I I was trying to please appease Cheech the whole time. I see. You know, I tried to appease Cheech. Uh, no, you know, with uh, when when I started. Like everything is different, you know, because everything changes. Uh, when we did, was it, things are tough all over. By the way, I did a, uh, a podcast yesterday, and uh, the guy said, uh, you know, my favorite movie is Things Are Tough All Over. And, and I looked at him, and he goes, uh, well, I'm a musician. And then I forgot about uh, <laughs> all the, the, yeah, the, the parts in there. Yeah. And, and with Things Are Tough All Over, I, I, I tried to make concessions to Cheech. I For see. instance, he ma- he named the movie. He wanted to to name the movie because Cheech, in 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 a roundabout way, he named Up in Smoke because Up in Smoke, I we never had a name for it. Like Lou had it down as Cheech and Chong's greatest hit, but when we uh, uh, I, I wrote a song for that right. uh, called Up in Up Smoke, and, Smoke. And, that, and that when Cheech heard it, he said, "Okay, that's the name of the movie," uh, and and that was a. a that was my aim. I was trying to appease Cheech, but then again, being a, being the, the sort of megalomaniac that I am, <laughs> I had to go down my path. You know, I mean, that's the way I am. You know, there's sure. no other, other way around it. Sure. Um, when you did Cheech and Chong's next movie, which originally was titled Cheech and Chong Go Hollywood, and I have the script for it. I have read every page of that script every which way, uh, know it inside and out. It wasn't really, you know, when most people have a hit movie, the sequel is the same movie all over again kind of a thing. And you went the other direction with it. Here you just did vignettes of stuff that you encountered in Hollywood after becoming famous and having kind of a different sort of life here. And I know that obviously the influence for Red, and I know that the point of bringing Red... uh, that scene with Red getting the valet car handed to him actually happened at like a luxury resort in Hawaii or something. But were there, any, oh, yeah. yeah. Were there any situations that you can remember at this point of actual things that happened to you while you were working on that? And you said, we have to put that in the movie. Uh, no, that was uh next movie you're talking about. Yeah. 
Because uh, next movie is all Hollywood. And I don't know if yeah. you've ever seen Los Angeles Plays Itself. Have you ever seen that documentary? No. It's a movie about L.A. and how it's represented in films done by a USC professor named Tom Anderson. And there's not a single inch of Cheech and Chong anywhere in that movie. And I said to him, why not? Because when I moved here and I wanted to learn about the city, that is like one of the great sociological studies of L.A. is that film. And so I've yeah. always wondered, like, little things that happen to you that you put in there, you know? Yeah, well, yeah, that, that was my thing. That's why Cheech and I were, were, were such, uh, you know, because he was such a, a wealth of, of uh, material. Right. You know, his whole, because, and, and I would, he would give me little drips and dribbles, you know, he's, oh, that reminds me of the time and blah, blah, blah. And, and so I, 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 we did that with Up the Smoke. We did that with, uh, with Next Movie for sure. Yeah. Uh, because I was unbridled with, uh, with, uh, Next Movie. And, uh, and my, my aim with Next Movie was to put every funny thing I could find in the movie because i always felt and i was uh except for the for, for the title uh i always felt that that was uh uh you know i mean that 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 that's part of the improvisational process you know what i mean uh, you, you 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 it's like you get a seed in the planet and if yeah. it, and, and, and if it works well boom you got something sure. and, and and with 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 cheech that was the thing with with, with cheech because and and then also i i was so influenced by the committee the uh, uh improv group uh the committee in second city and and the trouble in in a way uh because i was a, i wasn't an actor i was a musician coming into the world and so I, I approached everything as a musician you know you hear a tune you learn it you know you don't get vilified for it in right. fact in fact people go oh you know and and you pay but you know whatever you, if you record you, you pay the residual to the writer right. well in, in the movie i i found out that you can snatch ideas anywhere from anybody which i did all along uh, every movie I made, like Things Are Tough All Over, for instance, it was the boom man that was giving me, uh, helping me with the movie. Because, again, I, I, I would start, we'd get in the middle of the movie and then I'll say, okay, now what? Now where do we go from here? And so we'd, we'd have to write and figure out. And, and I would usually use what was going on in the world and then do our version of it. Uh, like in, in Things Are Tough All Over. The, uh, by the way, see, Cheech named that movie. And, and, and to me, <laughs> that, that kind of, uh, you know, because I, 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 I wanted to call it Riding High. And, and, uh, and I thought, Riding High would have been a a, a better title. Uh, Cheech's he wanted to call it Things Are Tough All Over because it, I think his character says says that in, in you know in the well, intro, things, yeah things are tough yeah, all things, over. yeah things are tough all over yeah. but but uh, you know I, I I always struggled with my instincts and then appeasing uh, uh, other people as you do in improv. You know, you, sure. it's not written, so you give the other guy, you know, like playing tennis. You give him a shot, and if he hits the ball back, well, then you got a game, you know? 
This this is still on next movie question. When you look at the script of next movie, it seems like you were purposely writing scenes to take advantage of as much of the universal lot as possible. Now, like you said, you knew you were just going to go in there and do something different from the script, but you were writing setups so you could have locations and have a general idea. Most of the scenes don't appear in the final film. And also, because your work was considered controversial at the time, which we'll talk about in a second, you had to simultaneously shoot a clean version for television while you were shooting the regular R-rated version. Was not, was not filming a lot of the scenes that you intended to set up for a budget issue, or once the reality of having to do improv twice and make two versions of the film, you were kind of like, screw it, we'll just do more of this and less of that? Well, no, the... The, the two versions never happened till way after the movie had been cut and uh, and released. Did you go and, back and, and reshoot? And how did, how did no, that work? no, no. They came. They they came to me. Universal came to me and they said we can make this. Uh, uh, we can take out the weed things and uh, you know make a make it the, looking for diamonds and all that. Yeah. And and, and my. You know, because I, I was an improv actor, uh, again, I said, well, go for it. You know, do it. Do what you got to do. You know, I was never married because I never wrote. When you improv, you, you just go with what you got. Sure. And, and, and and then, like, I, I almost forget about it. Whereas if you write a script, which is, you know, another way and sometimes the, the way to go is, is to... Uh, uh, fall in love with the situations that you write to the point where they're your children. And if you mess with them, you know, like, you know, like uh, Sophie's choice, you know, you, you know, but I was never, I was never that way because I never really considered myself a movie director. You know, I never really did right up in my whole career because I never, I, mean, I was never comfortable I, in fact, I, I had a job. I was given a job by Canon Pictures to uh, direct uh, 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 a comedy yeah. with uh, Richard Dreyfuss. And then you gave the money back, and, and Golan was shocked, <laughs> right? And was the only person ever to hand Golan and Globus their money back in the history of that whole company. Yeah, because, I, you know. At, at one I, point, when you have yeah. the money, though. Did you because they they were famous for like making whole movies in forty eight hours? Like yeah. at some point, did you consider just going in head first and doing it anyway? You know, again, I respected the writers, the actors, and the writers, and 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 I did not respect their their uh, uh, overall look at things. See, with me, with a with a movie, I go way back. You know, to the beginning. You know, Martin and Lewis. I was a big fan and everything else. In all the comedies, they always had a beautiful woman in there somewhere. You know, I mean, that was that was, and and when I I start working with uh, Dreyfus and and uh, and uh, David Landsberg, uh, I couldn't convince them. You know that that you you needed a beautiful woman, and so I looked at these guys. And, <laughs> And, and I, I and, that's the reason. <laughs> yeah, and, and I said, are, "Are we talking gay here?" You know, 
whatever it was. Yeah. I couldn't I couldn't convince him. And then I said, Oh man, I gotta get out of there. I gotta get out of there. Amazing. Because you can fix a lot of things, but you can't fix uh, that. Yeah, you know, you know, you need you need that female thing. And uh, and I've been looking now at a lot of old uh, sitcoms, you know, Three's yeah. Company and all that, man. And back in the day, man, it was like, uh, you know, it was uh, it was almost uh, too much, yeah. uh, you know, TNA, you know. But I wanted just one. <laughs> One scene, you know, where where the audience would wake up and go, whoa, look at her. And they never gave it to me. And then I realized, you know, oh, man, they just got me along so they could get the deal, you know. And, and so I was like a lot of directors are, you know, where they just, uh, you know, just paint by the numbers you know the whatever you got shoot it take the money and go on to the next job you know but i was i i never i never knew how to do that yeah you often tell the story about belushi and Aykroyd being on the set of next movie but you must have known that you were going to be shooting on the lot at the same time as the blues brothers because you have reference to them in the original script I know that you're always aware of the fact that you'd never been invited to be on Saturday Night Live. And like you say, you're a big fan of Second City, but the corporate interests that be kind of kept you guys apart for a long time. Honestly, how much were you subconsciously or consciously trying to make some kind of collaboration with Belushi and Aykroyd happen at that point as a way of being compensated for having been blacklisted from SNL? <laughs> well, you know, I never I, I understood the SNL. I understood why they would never have a song. You sure. Know? Uh, and, 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 and I respect it. I respected that. I turned down, don't forget, I turned down a huge NBC uh, offer for, for uh, television. Yeah. And uh, much to uh, Cheech's chagrin, you know, yeah. he wasn't that thrilled. But uh, we were offered everything. And I turned it down. I said, yeah. no. I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, had we done that, we would have been like Freddie Prince, you know, a, a, a memory in some obscure history of television, you know, and, and I knew that. And, and I knew that, that my, my, my thing had to be movies, you know, because yeah. that's Cheech and Chong, you know, we were, we, we were blacklisted from every, every <laughs> normal yeah. thing. For, you, got, it, you got arrested just for doing a show and just crazy stuff. But yeah. but when like I'm saying, when you were prepping to do next movie, you knew Blues Brothers were going to be on the lot at the same time. And in the back of your mind, were you sort of trying to find a way to get them involved or get yourselves involved in their picture in one way or another, or just no, not okay. at all, okay. not at all, because to me, they were big fans of Cheech and Chong, right? You know, uh, Belushi for sure, uh, and 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 Dan too, absolutely, absolutely. I, I respected. Uh, you know the whole second city and everything else, but I understood why why we couldn't be part of it. You know, uh, and and uh, I still understand it. You know because uh, uh, it's funny with uh, second city, they uh, they had characters played Cheech and Chong. <laughs> you well, know, a couple yeah. of, a couple of years ago, they had a couple of their characters play Cheech and Chong as if we were dead. You yeah, know? I mean, they, we could have been on that show at, at any time, you know. And, and you know, actually, we started a lot of things with uh, Dick Clark, 
You know, when, when we went on the Raider record with Dick Clark, we tore up the set, you know, and I told Dick, you know, I, I warned him and he loved it, man. He, he got this big smile on his face and, you know, he loved that kind of uh, stuff. But, uh, you know, the rest of the uh, establishment, you know, especially uh, Lauren Michaels, I guess, and he's Canadian, very, very strict. He hated the fact that, that we influenced Belushi as much as we did, you know, and, uh, and, uh, you know, I, 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 I never, no, you know, I never saw Cheech and Chong in, in, in the Blues Brothers ever d doing anything together, you know. And, and, and I know that we influenced the Blues Brothers big time because right. Cheech and I, we were so musical with our, with our act, you know, right. that we're, you know, we're, we should be into the, uh, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame just with the earache my eye, you know, that one song, uh, because it is, you know, it was, it's very respected by the rock world sure. and the music world. But no, you know, no, I always, I, and I love when Dan and, and, and uh, because they came to us, you know, we, we, I had no time to go to them, but they're actors. They, you know, had the time off. And so they wanted to come with us. Uh, a, a little footnote there. We went, went, went into the, the lunch area one time, and there, all the the guys from Stripes were there. Uh, uh, which, was, which was written for you, just for the yeah, watching. It doesn't matter. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And and Bill Murray got really almost in, insulting, you know, uh, because as Bill Murray can get, you know, and he started talking real loud, you know, for everybody, you know, hey, you 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 missed out, man, you know, you you had your chance, you could have done it, you know, you, you know, yeah. you snooze, you lose, kind of thing, you know, yeah. and it was weird because I I had never really met Bill Murray face to face, you know, like like Belushi was a big fan, but that was that was it, I, and I, and I think in a lot of respects, Dan, you know, Ackroyd was a, a fan. But I think more because of Belushi. But Belushi was one of those. Oh, he would tell us stuff when he was in Second City and they were trying to do a record. After we got our record, he'd be in the studio and they kept telling him, uh, too much teaching Chong. Too much teaching Chong. <laughs> and it was, it was kind of funny. Which is interesting because the other thing I wanted to ask you about with Second City is, after you guys hit it big with Up in Smoke, I think I, I have the date, but it's... Uh, uh, two months after next movie was released, Rick Moranis and Dave Thomas debuted Bob and Doug McKenzie, who were basically Cheech and Chong with beer instead of weed. They were Second City. That also had a successful album and film, just like you guys. How did that affect you at the time? Do you remember thinking you'd reached some kind of artistic peak within the Cheech and Chong framework? Were you flattered or upset by their success? Had you ever discussed collaborating with them? No, no, because, you know, Cheech and I were never really... Uh a team as, as, as they were, you know, they, they, they mm -hmm. had, well, Cheech, when, when we joined up, when, when joined, Cheech joined my acting group in, 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 uh, uh, Vancouver, he, the first, one thing he said to me, he said, I'll follow you for a while because Cheech, the character, I, it, it took a it took a little bit of, of, coaxing you know yeah. to get him to do that character because uh, he he was we didn't know he was mexican when we were in uh, in uh, vancouver 
Right. And I, he, he I, was I really, worried it was going to be offensive. That was his main thing. Yeah, his his thing, and and so when uh, uh, we we did a live show in uh, in uh, Encino, uh, uh, I forget the name of the club, but we got hired to do two shows in one yeah. night. It was like and, a, it was a jazz club, right? Yeah, no, it was a dance club. Dance it was club. A, it was dance club. It, it where they were dancing, and they had to stop dancing to watch our comedy. And so the first show never went over uh, that well, right. you know, it was just strict. And so then, you know, we can improv right away. And so I said to Cheech, I said, but come on, there must be a character you can do. Right, and right. he said, well, there is one, but, you know, I hesitate. He didn't want to do it. And I said, why? He said, it's uh, detrimental, I think he said, was the word, uh, you know. And I said, well, th that's... Perfect. That's our business. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what we're. That's that what. That's what we're in that business. And so then he showed me the a little bit of the character, and then I wrote a bit that I knew from the black uh, clubs that I'd played in. You know, backed up all, all my. You know, most of my life, uh, and it was about a, a guy. About, it was a black comedian going on a date with a woman with a car, and and, and the car was he would make it appear by miming it, you know, cleaning it and everything. And so I showed Cheech that part of, of the car, and then he took it from there. Yeah. And uh, and Cause, that cause changed. Cheech had said that that, that that character was in love with his car, was obsessed with the cars or yeah. new cars, and that's what you said. We'll go with that. Yeah. 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 Cheech, Cheech uh, uh, when, when he uh, – and then when, when he did that, hey, when he said it in an accent, you know, Hey, Red Freak, you want to ride, man? Come on. When he said that, the, you could feel this electricity in the audience. And it was a perfect audience to try it on because they were more hostile than, than friends. This is the second show they're watching, you know, and it's like, okay, what do you got now? You know, and when we did that, we, we won that audience. And when we did that, then our career just yeah. Went through, went through the roof. You know? Yeah, had had you have have you ever seen the Bob and Doug film Strange Brew? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And you liked it. Well, well, we influenced so many people, man. Yeah. But the 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 influence is is like the, the it's a it's almost like a formula, you know. Right. Oh, you know the comedy because I was influenced by the Smothers Brothers. You know okay. my 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 character. Uh, was almost like a, a ripoff of Tommy Smothers, you know, uh, you know the way he would act Poor with Cheech, yeah, yeah, with, yeah. with 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 his brother, and then Cheech and I, you know, when we're doing interviews and stuff like that, you know, because acting, you're you're influenced by everybody, you know, and, yeah. and the one, especially a comedy team, you know, that like Martin and Lewis, I grew up with Martin and Lewis. So I, I, you know, understood that that funny guy in the in the kind of like the straight guy, but uh, Cheech, you know, I I just I saw him, he, he got tired of doing that that he didn't want to be typecast right. into that into the yeah. into Pedro, although everybody else like George Lopez and every other Chicano be after him. And, you know, Stole they the just, act. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, they just said, okay, yeah. we'll take it from here. Fluffy and, yeah. <laughs> all those guys. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about Chuck Berry because, you know, you have so many Chuck Berry references in your work 
and Chuck Berry, his first big single, I think you were 17 or 18 when it came out. And people always ask you about Jimi Hendrix and always ask you about Motown and all that kind of stuff. But nobody ever asks you much about Chuck Berry, but it seems to me he was very important to you in some way. Oh, me and the Stones and the Beatles and the, every anybody that ever picked up a guitar and played rock and roll, we sure. owe everything. And we owe it all to Chuck. And I met Chuck, too, at the height of his career. It was in Calgary, and you know, and we had been doing his songs as soon as we heard him. Man. But that was our first, you know, Roll Over Beethoven was our first uh, song that we learned as a, as a band, mm-hmm. you know, as a young kid. And, uh, oh, man, to meet Chuck and, and the way he played that guitar and danced and acted and wrote his writing. I mean, there wouldn't have been the Beatles if it wasn't, or or the Stones if it wasn't for Chuck, sure. you know, because Chuck opened that door. And by the way, I just saw a, a documentary on Buddy Guy. Yeah, and, and I was always so much enamored with with Chuck Berry that I never paid attention to Buddy Guy. And then coming home uh, last weekend, uh, I watched this documentary, a great documentary on Buddy Guy, and oh my God. I can't wait. I, I, I got to get that documentary. It's another it's a, another uh, part of my life that that was a piece of it that was missing because but but Chuck himself, there's so many things about Chuck that I loved. And, and even I understood even at the, toward the end, you know, when he got a little perverted, you know, uh, not a little perverted, he got really perverted. <laughs> but I love that attitude. I love Chuck's whole thing, you know, the way he looked at music and, and the way he uh, the way he wrote his writing, his poetry. I mean, all the rappers, everybody, the old Chuck, uh, sure. you know, a nod at, at least. When when his, his uh, 45s first coming out, did you like go to the store and buy the 45s and listen to them over and over? Like, were you that level of excited about him specifically? Yeah, the, or? the singer of our song, uh, the singer, the head lead singer, uh, Tommy Milton. Yeah, uh, he 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 would uh, see we. I got into the black crowd in Calgary as a dancer. You know, I could dance, and I had a black uh, girl uh, partner, and we 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 won them some dance contests. Uh, and then I got into the black crowd. That's where I met Tommy Milton, the 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 singer. He was a football player, but he could he could sing. You know, not bad, not great, but he wasn't a singer. He was a football player that could sing, and and so he. Uh, but he he got all the records, and he would get the records. We would get the seventy eights from the porters that came up from uh, the States into uh, Canada and they would bring the, the records with them. And, and th- that's how we got turned on to, uh, to, well, Chuck, we got turned on to Chuck was uh, through the TV uh, in the radio, but, uh, but like uh, Sonny Boy Williamson and all the great blues artists, you know, Muddy Waters, all them, it all came up 78s came up through the wow. yeah, yeah they come up come up through the uh through the railroad the the porters on the railroad yeah interesting very interesting uh kind of a technical question that you may or may not know on things are tough all over shelby used her maiden name as an actress but her married name as the assistant producer and nobody seems to ever ask about that what was the story behind that 
she didn't want to be nailed, you know, as the wife, as an actress, you know, because she, 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 you know, she never really wanted to get married. You know, the only reason we got married, in fact, at the time we weren't dead, we weren't legally married, you know, and, and she, she liked that part. Uh, in fact, we, we got together because I was married and she knew that because I was married, happily married, because she lived next door. She knew uh, Maxine. Uh, we could be friends, you know, and we were just friends. It was very platonic right up until uh, LSD came onto the scene. And then... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. That changed. That changed. Acid. And yeah. then... Oh man, we made love and the first time ever. And, I mean, what we found out, we had fallen in love, you know, and uh, and for all the talk and everything, you know, she she never wanted to get married. She wanted to be a kept woman, if that or or and if she was going to get married, she was going to marry a, a millionaire. At the time, it was a millionaire. Now now it's a billionaire. And so she, mm-hmm. she, she, and so that's why she did her, her, Used two her different main names. Name. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Fair enough. Um, you know, that meeting that you, the famous meeting you had at, at Columbia where they paid you a hundred thousand dollars to pitch three stories. One of them was the roadies. And then there were a couple others that they didn't care for. You know, the meeting I'm referring to. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah. So, you know, when, when you tell the story, and don't get me wrong, I love the Tommy Chong mythology, and you just like Keith Richards' mythology, you do a great job of building it up and all that kind of thing. But when you tell the roadie story, which is half really you guys always watching the roadies when you were on tour, half you guys opened for the Stones and what a big deal that was. But you have this whole thing about the Peter Principle, and you know, you always go on this long tear about what the Peter Principle is, and it's great. But... The Peter Principle was the basis for being there, which, of course, you were very, you're in being there. Technically, it's your first appearance in a movie. You're friends with Peter Sellers. And as you said, you're a huge Hal Ashby fan. Yeah. I've never heard you say that potentially subconsciously that's what was the inspiration for that whole Peter Principle idea for that story. Because it's all in the right time frame. You know, you would have just seen it not that long before. And then you go in the meeting and you're just riffing up ideas. Do you think that being there really had that influence on doing that Peter Principle story? I probably. <clears throat> Although I had no, I no, I don't think it was uh, being there. I think that was a coincidence because um, no, the Peter Principle it goes way back. Uh, there was a few things that went back. For instance, in Up in Smoke, you know, the band made out of weed. Okay, that was an old joke that I'd heard about this during the communist era uh, of this guy would take a, a, a wheelbarrow and he would take it across the border and they would, every time he'd stop, stop him, you know, the guards would stop him and they'd go dig through the wheel the the dirt that was in the wheelbarrow what was in the wheelbarrow and and they would find nothing and then when he the guy retired the cop and him got together and he said listen i know you were smuggling something what was it because we tried for 20 years to find it we never found it and he said now we're both retired doesn't matter 
And so the guy said, I was smuggling wheelbarrows. (laughs) 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 So I used used that as the the reason that the marijuana uh, ban made of marijuana. Makes sense. And, me... and, and that's what I did. So I, I think with the, the, the Peter Principle, I don't know where I got the inspiration, but I knew that, it, well, I also knew that, uh, I heard stories about roadies, uh, you know, <laughs> messing up uh, royally, uh, you know, and, and, and instead of firing them, they, they moved them. They moved him up, you know, because, you know, in the rock and roll world, it's not like you get anybody up the street. It's spinal tap logic. Yeah. Yeah. Someone has to be there and look after. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Spinal tap. I want to ask you about one other thing like that, you know, a story that you always tell that I want to know a little bit more behind, which is, you know, the shot in... um, in next movie in the welfare office where it's Michael Winslow in the center of the frame and there's one, two, three, four, five, five stories going on in one shot. I know you're very proud of that shot. They absolutely use it in film schools to show how you can do this. But I want to know a little bit about the origin of the shot. And the reason is I think two weeks after next movie came out, Caddyshack came out. Caddyshack has a very similar shot in a locker room. And around that time when you would have been doing pre-production you know, Jacques Tati was kept reworking his movies and Playtime's the first film that really did those kind of scenes. I also know that you spent a lot of time in France around that time. And I was wondering if, again, might be subconsciously, might just be coincidence that all three of these things happen at once. Had you gone to a screening of Playtime in France or in America, anywhere around that period? Have you seen Playtime? Are you familiar with that work? You know, I'm trying to figure out what brought that into the into the picture at that time? You know, it could have been very subliminal because I did live in France. So we went to all the movies, but I never went to a movie uh, looking for material. Sure. You know, I just, I would just go and, and see, like I do everything, you know, sure. I, I just go see and, and absorb. So I think Jerry Lewis, uh, you know, his, he was the first guy to use video assist of course, in, yeah. in movies. Jerry Lewis's his technique and the way he would do, do things really inspired me. Uh, if, if, if nothing else, but using the latest technology, you know. And, and when, when I, uh, no, when I shot, when, when, when we arranged the bit, the guy that's nodding out, uh, with the with the with the cigarette. Yeah, uh, his name is Tony Vascara. He's the cousin. He's Lenny Bruce's uh, ex father in law. And he Tony was the guy that brought Lenny the drugs. Tony was a, a heroin addict, and even in the movie, the whole thing. And so that I used his 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 junkiness uh, in there. Uh, and, and, and it, it just came together, very serendipity kind of the way it did with Michael Winslow and the old guy laughing and everything else. Because I, I, I tend to use extras or actors or, or whatever, who's ever in the picture, you know, we put them around doing things and that. And with me, one of the things that impressed me about uh, like Jerry Lewis or, or the comedians, 
uh, uh, Charlie Chapman, all those guys, they did visual humor. Yeah. They, 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 they stuck to visual humor. And that way you can direct, like myself, I could direct everything that was going real easy and still be in the scene. Because I was like, I'm sitting there almost like a director watching watching everything going. And, and me watching was kind of like the, it was the audience. I was the, being the audience and the audience was being me. And, and they were seeing what I saw. And 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 then you know putting Cheech and uh, trying to hump uh, Evelyn in the back, in the back again yeah. again I was always the beautiful woman somewhere <laughs> somewhere in the scene and by the way Evelyn was uh, Tony's uh, niece oh okay so so there's very uh, you know uh, Fam- Chinese family business yeah yeah, yeah, yeah exactly yeah. exactly and and the and, and there was an ode to Lenny Bruce. And, and Sally Marr, by the way, do you know who Sally Marr is? Sally, Sally was Lenny's uh, uh, mother, but she was and also she, very. She helped you get your career going. I remember. Yeah, yeah. she she was also uh, uh, you know uh, a manager of many comedians and and uh, a mentor to a lot. Like Sam Kennison, uh, always talked about Sally, and, and he was very, you know she was their comedy royalty. And when Cheech and I came to to town, and we performed at Red Fox's club, they, the whole entourage, Lenny Bruce's whole entourage was sitting there when we performed. Right. And it was Tony that came up and, to me. And and, he, and it's funny because Tony's Chicano and Cheech's Chicano. He never went to Cheech. He came right up to me because he, <laughs> he, he knew that I was the, the, the writer. And, and he, he, uh, he told me, you know, that we were the hottest thing, the closest thing to Lenny. That, that he had seen and he'd right. been looking they've been looking a long time and so at the end of his life in nice dreams I, I hired Tony as a writer and I got him some I think about fifteen thousand dollars or something like that and of course he spent it all on on, on yeah heroin and he wrote a script for me and uh, and then he OD'd I think the last payment <laughs> he he went went out, oh, and it was terrible. kind of funny. There was two funny things about it because he, uh, I got a call from the ambulance drivers. You know, uh, yeah, this is so and so ambulance, and are you Tommy John? Yes, and well, uh, Tony Vizcarra, uh, blah blah blah. You know, and we want to know <laughs> who's going to pay for this. I remember that ambulance, yeah, yeah. and I said hello. Yeah. Well, it got disconnected or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then when Tony got uh, buried, uh, Jackie Gale was uh, one of the pallbearers. And we're, we're carrying the coffin up a hill, and, and Jackie Gale was cussing Tony out. You motherfucker, why did you pick a flat in the yeah. hill like that? It was, it was, uh, it was a very, very uh, unique. I'm, I'm going to film it one day. Yeah. Uh, uh, he had about. 15 girlfriends crying at the at the thing no no one knew about the other one oh, it, was, <laughs> it, was, it was crazy it was crazy around that time you know jerry lewis was teaching at usc film school did you go to any of his lectures or anything or did you no. read his book about filmmaking it came out around then no you're no, just inspired no. by the work okay i was just inspired by the work and what i heard you know like I said, you know, like I didn't know who Buddy Guy was, really. I faked like I did. 
you know, because I'm a blues, so-called blues uh, guitarist and that. And I'd heard Buddy Guy's name, but I never connected him to who he really was right. and what he really did. You know, yeah. so in a, in a lot of ways, I'm very superficial on, 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 on many levels. And uh, even though I know these people, I, 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 I'm not a scholar like you. Got it. I got you. I saw Buddy Guy open for the Stones a whole bunch of times, and I didn't know much about him either until later on, you know, you go home and you read about it, and you're like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my, you know, like that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, we only have a couple minutes left, and I really want to ask you a little bit about Things Are Tough All Over, because, you know, in Cheech's autobiography, he never even mentions Things Are Tough All Over. He refers to it as the third or fourth movie, never gives the title. You've never really done a lot of interviews about it. People don't want to talk about it much. It's a brilliant film. Uh, one of the, the number one question I have about it is whose decision was it for you to technically not be the director of the film? It was my it okay. was my de decision. Why didn't uh, you uh, want again, to be the director? Uh, uh, well, Cheech, Cheech was rebelling. He didn't want to do the movie, period. He, he, you know, even though we had signed up, Cheech didn't want to do the meeting where they offered us the, the three movies. Right. Cheech, Cheech, we got a documentary coming up where Cheech st still would not accept Howard Brown. Howard right. Brown saved us from Lou Adler. He saved yeah, us Yeah, I know. He got you the three-picture deal and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah everything. Yeah. And, but uh, but in your book, you say that, that the writing and the, and the motion going forward on that picture was all Cheech. And Cheech says he had nothing to do with it. You say you had nothing to do with it. Somebody must have had something to do with it, which is why there's so little information about the picture on the on the internet. You know. Well, yeah. We, well, what happened was that one, like Cheech did not want me to be the, the director. I says then, okay, why don't we uh, use Tom Allison? Right. You know, the, because he, the the editors and I were always so tight because sure. the editors were always telling me and telling me what they needed. Too, you know uh oh by the way we need this we need that and uh, you know as a director okay let's write it in there and we shoot it uh and so tom allison would have been good good at that i think teach's biggest problem was is that he, because he wasn't really needed in there well what teach would do, would do he would go on vacation and then i we got these movies coming up and so i would sit and write you know, my style of, of the movie. We did that with the Corsican brothers. We did that with all the movies. And, and then chief would come back off vacation. And, and then he said, what do you got? And then I'd show him uh, what I, we had and we would shoot a movie. Uh, well, things are tough all over. He wanted to be more involved with it. But the trouble is with, with creativity, uh, especially with, 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 with the movie business there there has to be uh someone with the passion to 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 really finish the project you know sure uh, and and uh and because you don't really you know most uh, most if not all movies rely on the writing you know right. the writing and so you got the well, writing in this case, and the, the setups because you were going to improvise everything anyway yeah. and well, we, we did and, yeah. and 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 but i i i, I kind of teach love playing characters and and so when we did the arab characters as soon as we got the arab character he loved that part and i loved the part playing the the, the partner <clears throat> but again it was teaches 
<laughs> and that's why he doesn't admit it because it, he named the pitcher. He wanted to name it. Things are tough lower. He wanted to deal with the Arabs, you know, in some in some manner, okay. uh, you know, and and. <laughs> And now that I think about it, it cracks me up because there are, like all our movies, there are some just like brilliant. It's a brilliant. It's there. a brilliant picture. It's a oh, I'm you know glad. it gets Thank you. it's it's you know from a, from like a popular artistic community it gets looked down on as a stoner comedy. It's a it's a road movie that you're only yeah. on the road for ten minutes. Yeah, it's a stoner comedy. You don't smoke weed once in the movie. You yeah. know, like it just gets so dismissed that when you, it's like it's almost like Ishtar. It's like if you watch. Uh, the original cut of Ishtar, it's a brilliant picture, but all yeah. everybody wants to talk about is how much money it lost, not how yeah. good the movie is. You know, it's the same yeah. kind of thing. And I want to ask you, just because we're running out of time, and I respect, I can't thank you enough again for taking the time to talk to me. When you played Habib and Sliman in that movie, the two, are, it's a complete role reversal. As Pedro and Man, you're the one torturing Cheech. And he gets angry, and the humor is him getting angry. And the humor is after you see it the second or third time watching you get ready to torture him, which is incredible. (laughs) And the things are tough all over. It's the complete reverse. He's screaming at you. He's yelling at you. He's calling you an idiot like 500 times in the movie. Also, as Pedro and Man, you're the chill, relaxed, whatever. And in this one, you're angry, you're violent, you're trying to kill everybody, all this kind of thing. Now, my question about that is... When you're setting up the premise for the movie, did you was that on purpose or did that just happen as you started improvising? No, it, it was it was uh, kind of designed. You know, Cheech came up with uh, Solomon first. Uh, you know, his character, and and so then I realized, you know, got to be the opposite. So I, I'll be, you know, if he's the 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 king, you know, I'll be the henchman. And uh, no, I we really enjoyed it. You know, the the behind the scenes would have been the best movie because Howard Brown was going nuts because the studio was telling him, you know, you know, where's the pot? You know, where's the sure, sure, know, yeah. it's not a stoner movie. And and I would say, well, talk to the director. And 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 they knew that I was directing the movie, writing, directing the movie. And so they said. The, Tom's the, the editor. I said, no, he's the director. Look at that. Look at the credits. And so Howard says, no, you have to have a meeting with these guys. I said, okay, on one condition. He said, what? I said, I got to film the meeting. And then, <laughs> Howard. And guess what? No meeting. No meeting. No, me- yeah. no meeting. They, they did not want to be on film. The only thing the the studio did to kind of get back at me uh, for pulling that thing was uh, we, we were in Chicago New Year's Eve, and we I wanted to uh, throw a New Year's Eve party mm-hmm. for for the cast and crew, and the studio said no way, no way, and so I threw it anyway, and I paid for it, you know, right. uh, my, my American Express. I didn't know I could, I could do that. Because, you know, I've been poor all my life. I had no idea that I had control of, of enough money to, to throw a party like that. Sure, yeah, but I think I think, that, yeah. I, I think it was my wife or something that, that did it. Oh. You got to go? Nah, I got to go. Okay. Hey, Tommy, I can't thank you so much for being on the show. It was a pleasure speaking with you. If you ever want to talk about these movies in any more detail, I have about 20 pages of questions I could ask you. 
But hey, well, let's do it again. Let's do but it we again. should. We should. Set it up at your convenience. Whatever I will. You All right. Okay. Thanks so much, Tommy. Take care. Have Thank a great you. weekend. Thank All right. Bye-bye. You too, man. Take care.